Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. What a morning. So glad that each of you are here. Are you glad to be here this morning? Wonderful. Last week, we began a new sermon series called Journey to the Cross, and we're going to be in this sermon series leading all the way up to Easter Sunday, which is hard to believe is only four Sundays away from here. And like I said last week, we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every Sunday, but especially on that Sunday around the globe, people will be celebrating uh, like no other. And so in anticipation of what's going to happen on Easter Sunday and to make room for everybody, we're going to have three special Easter service times. That's a mouthful. So Pastor Madison said this during the announcements this morning, but we will have three special service Sunday, special Easter service Sunday times. Yes, beautiful. They're going to be from 8 o'clock till 9 o'clock, 9.30 to 10.30, and 11 to 12. So there's going to be a quiz in just a moment, so I'm going to ask for your undivided attention. 8 to 9, 9.30 to 10.30, 11 to 12. On that Sunday, there will not be an 8.30 service. There will not be a 10.15 service. There will be an 8 o'clock service. There will be a 9.30 service and an 11 o'clock service. What time will the first service be? Second service? And the third service. Now, which one are you going to come to? All of them? <laughs> you, you are welcome to. We'd love for you to come to all of those. Well, last week we talked about Jesus' journey to the cross through Gethsemane. The journey to the cross begins with a decision to obey. Jesus made the decision to be obedient to the Father long before the cross became a reality. How many of you like a good comeback story? I'll, none of you? Y'all gonna have to help me out this morning. How many of you like a good comeback? Let me see. I'm going to pause for just a second. Even if you don't care about comeback stories, would you just humor me for just a moment? Because for the next little bit in this service, we're going to be talking about comeback stories. So I really hope that all of you love comeback stories with everything within you. How many of you love a good comeback story? Cool. Thank you. Thank you. This is going to get much better. I, uh, I love a good comeback story. Many of you know that I don't follow sports, but occasionally you will find me watching a game with my wife who is crazy about sports. And if it was just up to me and I was watching that game with her, I would not care who won the game. But my wife is a huge KU fan. She's a huge Packers fan. She's a huge Chiefs fan. Some of you are groaning. And so some of you know, like, Super Bowl was not a good night at our house. But when I'm watching the game and her team is behind, and they start coming back, that pulls me in. Because just when I thought that there was no hope of her team winning and her being in a great mood for the rest of the night, the momentum shifts. Her team begins to score uh, some points, and now all of a sudden, something that I've not cared about my entire life, I am now magically interested and spiritually invested in the result of the game. Lord, please... If there's any grace and mercy in your heart and love for me, please let this team come back and win because happy wife, thank you. 
So the momentum shifts, the team wakes up, they begin scoring points, the other team begins to fall behind, they make mistakes, and soon my night is looking much better. Thursday night was a perfect illustration of this. For those of you who don't follow KU, let me just tell you what happened Thursday night. They were losing, and then they didn't. That's about as much sports commentary as I'm going to give you today. They were losing, and they didn't. They came back, and they won the game, and my wife was very happy. So comeback stories are not just something that we can find in sports, but it's something that we can see in individuals as well as with businesses. And I think the reason why we connect well and we love comeback stories so much is because for all of us, we know what it's like to be behind. We know what it's like when we've fallen, when we failed, and when we see others overcome the setbacks, the pain and loss, and have success, it gives us hope. And so we hope and pray that when we fall behind that we can make it back better. We hope and pray that when we receive a demotion at work that we can work to regain trust and, uh, and be restored to the previous position or better. We hope that when we lose the starting position on the team and the coach starts someone else that we can prove them wrong and re-earn it. We hope that when we relapse into life-controlling issues that we can once again break free and have sobriety restored. We hope that when our marriage is on the brink of destruction and doomed for divorce, that miraculously grace and forgiveness can be extended and bring about restoration. We hope that when, after a physical injury that full strength can be restored and then some. We hope that when faced with financial ruin that success can be regained. We hope that when a series of decisions have destroyed our reputation that we can have a personal comeback story. From Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of this book to the end is filled with men and women who failed. It's filled with men and women who needed a savior and it's filled with stories of people who've come back because they've experienced the grace of God. The Bible doesn't cover up the people's flaws in the Bible. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, to show us that we're not alone. Here's what I know about the enemy is the enemy loves to entice us into sin by telling us that everybody else is doing it. And then when we fall into that temptation... Then the enemy brings so much guilt and condemnation, like how in the world could you have done that thing? How horrible of a person are you that could do it? And so I think one of the reasons why the Bible is filled with the mess ups of people is because we can relate to that and we can also see the grace of God working in their lives. And if we're not careful, we'll listen to the voice of the enemy that everybody's doing it and then be in in shame and guilt and isolation after we've done that rather than going to God and asking for forgiveness. Secondly, I think the Bible includes people's flaws so that we can see how deep and wide God's grace is. So number one, we can see that we're not alone. And secondly, so we can see how deep and wide and big God's grace is. This morning, we're going to look at the comeback story of Simon Peter. Many of you know his story. And I just want to tell you that the small group that I'm in is not going through the book of Mark with Francis Chan. So I will just tell you that if any of this resembles Anything that Francis Chan talked, some lady walked out of the service this morning holding a newspaper and she said, I read the paper today because I already heard that message Wednesday night in my small group. I think she was joking. I hope she was. But but Pastor Dan said that this message is going to be far greater than anything that Francis Chan could have ever presented to you in your small group on Wednesday night. Amen. Thank you. So many of you know the story of Simon Peter. 
And as we look through some of his life choices that he makes, there are going to be some cringeworthy moments this morning. And spoiler alert, if you haven't been paying attention to this message at all, we're talking about comeback stories. So by the time we get to the end of this message, we're going to talk about his comeback story. Peter was given the name Simon, son of Jonah. And the first time that we see Simon's interactions with Jesus is found in John chapter 1. So I'm going to encourage you to turn in your Bibles there this morning to John chapter 1, or scroll on your digital devices to John chapter 1 this morning. It's also going to be on the screen. John chapter 1, verse number 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. We brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you make our ears come alive to hear what you would have for us and our hearts open to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, we see the first interaction between Jesus and Simon Peter. And we see at the beginning of this passage that his brother Andrew hears John call Jesus the Lamb of God. They would would have been waiting for the promised Messiah, and here they've discovered, and they see, and they recognize that Jesus is the one that was predicted to come. And Andrew tells Simon Peter, he says, we have found him. And he not only tells his brother that they have found Jesus, he brings them to Jesus. In verse number 42, it says, he brought Simon Peter to Jesus. And I want to be encouraging you to be telling people about the things that Jesus has done in your life. It's called our testimony, the things that God has done. I encourage you to be sharing that with others. And I believe that as you do, it's going to change people's lives and impact them. But I also want to encourage you to not just uh, talk about that, but and not just invite someone to come to church, but to bring someone to come to church with you, especially over the next few weeks. And Easter Sunday, all the more, I encourage you to invite someone and bring someone with you on Easter Sunday. This is a time where people around the United States, even those who aren't believers of Jesus, are thinking about Resurrection Sunday. They're thinking about Easter and what a prime opportunity for you to share your faith with others and bring someone to church. When Simon and Jesus meet, Jesus says to Simon, you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas which means Peter. And I just want to point out, this is the first encounter that Jesus and Simon have had. Peter's a fisherman, and in this passage, Jesus sees something in Simon before he's ever even done anything. There's nothing that that Simon Peter has done to have his name changed, except that Jesus saw something in him that he didn't even see in himself. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 16, Verse number 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, which is what uh, the name for the word for Peter means, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The new name that Jesus gives Simon was Peter, which means rock. And Jesus says to him that, uh, that this is, that this rock, I, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, Simon, again, was a fisherman and one day he's out fishing and the Bible tells us that he has this encounter with Jesus and this encounter of catching fish like no other. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I could preach it every Sunday. I just love it that much. But here's what happens. They've been out fishing all night long and Jesus tells them to cast their nets out on the other side. And Simon Peter says to Jesus, he says, Master, we have worked hard all night long and haven't caught anything. I've been there. There have been all kinds of times when I've been out fishing and not caught anything. But Jesus says to Simon, put out your net on the other side. And, and Simon says, because you say so, I will. The Bible records that, that when they let out their nets on the other side of the boat, that they caught so many fish that they had to signal for their partners and other boats to come and, uh, and to help with the catch, and that all of those boats were sinking as they pulled up to the shore. Now, that is a phenomenal fishing day. That's a, a day when Jesus performed a miracle in Simon Peter's life and with their friends. And right after that, as they pull up on the shore, Jesus tells them to leave everything and to follow him. So they leave the catch of fish and the nets on the shore, and they follow after Jesus. In Peter's journey with Jesus, we see the good and the bad and the ugly. The portrait of Peter that comes through all four gospel accounts pictures him as impulsive, often rash. He's the first to act and speak his mind and was typified by his enthusiasm for everything in which he had a part. So at the sight of Jesus walking on water, in the midst of a storm, Peter cries out to Jesus and says, command me to also come out and walk on water. And so for a few moments, Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on water until he begins to doubt and he sinks and Jesus pulls him back up. Now Matthew is ruthless. Matthew is one of the authors of the book of Matthew and he's ruthless when it comes to recording Peter's weaknesses. If you have friends, if you have friends like that, you don't need enemies, right? So this is what he says. After Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water and he fails, Matthew records Jesus's words of, oh, you of little faith, found in Matthew chapter 14, verse number 31. The next time is in Matthew chapter 16, right after Jesus is telling Peter, you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Literally right after that, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to be killed in chapter 16, verse number 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, this is Matthew recording Jesus' words, Get behind me, Satan. 
You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Ouch. That's harsh. I don't ever want anybody calling me Satan, and I especially don't want Jesus calling me Satan. Those are powerful words. In both of these situations, we see that Peter is seen as the one who's growing in discipleship. Peter's fearless in one moment and faulty in the next. And I think we can relate on some level with that. A declaration of faith can soon be followed by ignorance, right? We can come to church and we can post on Facebook, oh, I love service today, it was amazing, and then a few, months, a few moments later, we can lose our mind on our kids, right? A faith declaration followed by a moment of ignorance, and you can insert whatever thing that you might would be tempted to fail in. The beautiful part is that the power of the cross The power of Christ is available to strengthen those on the journey to the cross. The beautiful part is that the power of Christ is available to strengthen those on the journey to the cross. And in Matthew chapter 26, we see one of Peter's biggest failures. In verse number 26, Jesus had just instituted the Lord's Supper, which is what we celebrated today during worship. And right after that, he tells the disciples that they are going to fall away and be scattered. And Peter responded in that moment, nope, not me, not ever. All of them might do it, but there's no way that I'll fall away. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 34, Jesus said to Peter, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Last week we talked about how Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he took three people with him. He took Peter, he took James, and he took John. So right after, so as we look at the context of the story in the Bible, right after Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him, he takes three of the 12 disciples to a garden to pray with him. And Peter's one of them. He has the man who's going to deny him, join him in some of the final moments of his life to pray. Jesus knew that Peter was going uh, to deny him, yet in his final moments, he brought him in close rather than push him away. I believe this is because he cared more about Peter's redemption and restoration than his personal pain. He cared more about Peter's restoration and redemption than Jesus' own personal pain. And so even knowing Peter's past failures, Even knowing his future failures, Jesus brought him in closer. There are some of you who are watching online or some of you who are here in person this morning and you're thinking, if Jesus only knew the real me, then there's no way that he could ever love me or that he would ever draw me in close. And I just want to let you in on a secret this morning. Jesus knows everything about you. There's nothing hidden from him. Google has nothing on Jesus. The NSA has nothing on Jesus. He knows every thought that you have. He knows everything that you've ever done. And knowing what Peter had done, knowing what he had done in his past, knowing what he would do in his future, he drew him in close. And I just want to tell you this morning that for those of you that think you can never have a relationship with Jesus, that he could never love you, think of what Peter did to Jesus. And if Jesus would reach out his hand to bring him in close, I promise you this morning that he'll still extend his hand to you. 
So these three disciples in Gethsemane continue to fall asleep in this moment when Jesus asked them to stay awake and to pray. Right after this, Judas, Judas betrays Jesus. And these guards come to arrest Jesus, and the Bible tells us that Peter pulled out a sword and that he chopped off the ear of one of the high priest's servants. And Luke chapter 22 records that Jesus healed that man's ear. In that moment, he fixed Peter's mistake instantaneously. How many of you would love for Jesus to fix your mistakes instantaneously? Yeah. Some of you are going to start praying differently. You're going to be like, God, I screwed up royally. Would you please do for me what you did for Peter, right? Would you please fix my mistake instantly? But oftentimes, God doesn't do that for us. And as I've read through this passage and I've thought about why would Peter respond the way that he did? Why would he chop off that guy's ear as they came to arrest him? I just wonder if a case could be made that after Jesus told Peter that he would deny him and Peter struggling with the tensions and the implications of that statement lashed out in order to prove his allegiance and solidarity with Jesus. And so when Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times, It would have been better for Peter to ask Jesus how in the world he could not do that. Jesus, I don't want to do that. I don't want what you just said to be true. How can I avoid making that mistake? But instead he responds like a stubborn teenager saying, nope, I won't do it. Not ever under no circumstances. Here, I'll show you, Jesus. I'll chop off this guy's ear just to show you how loyal I am to you, Jesus. And I wonder how many times we do the same thing. When we're faced with something difficult, we lash out and we hurt people instead of turning to Jesus and asking him to help us. That's why it's so important for us to ask Jesus to help us. The journey to the cross begins with admitting that we have a need. The journey to the cross begins with us admitting that we have a problem. And because he's always there, ready and able to keep us from creating disasters in our lives and the lives of others because we're unwilling to ask for help. This morning, if you can relate to Peter, you know that you failed. You know that your life is a disaster right now. Jesus is always ready to write your comeback story. He sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. And just like he did with Peter, he gave Peter a new name right after he met him. Peter hadn't earned it, but Jesus looked at him and he knew what his future held and all the potential and the promise of his life. Later in this story, we see the disciples reminding Peter of his failures. How many of you have friends like that? Get new friends. Get new friends. So we see in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 35, Peter is loudly saying that he'll never deny Jesus. And the last statement in this verse says this, and all the disciples said the same. All the disciples said the same, but we know that all of them turned their backs, just like Jesus said, in one way or another. They just sinned differently 
than Peter. And some of you need to stop listening to the voices of those who want to remind you of who you used to be, who want to remind you of your failures and shortcomings. You need to stop listening to the people who are on the same road as you, and you need to start listening to the voice of Jesus telling you that you have a future and a purpose, and no matter what your past or your failures are, God can use you. Peter becomes the quintessential disciple in his weaknesses. He failed to understand Jesus' true purpose. He rebuked Jesus. He spoke without knowledge and out of fear. He swore allegiance, then denied the Lord. He fell asleep at a critical hour. Peter was the disciple that we can all relate to at one point in our lives or another. He was all too human, but Jesus wasn't put off by it. Instead, he pulled him in close. He gave him a new name, and he spoke purpose over his life. When the rooster crowed the third time, just as Jesus said it would happen, Peter was at his lowest. He realized he hadn't been the super disciple that he thought he would be. He felt like a loser, and, and he isolated and distanced himself from the other disciples. A rooster crowing was the symbol of his failure, a vocal reminder that he hadn't lived up to his own standards for himself and that he had let his Savior down. But after the resurrection, Jesus makes a point of bringing Peter back into his inner circle. After the resurrection, he's restored and empowered to advance the church and lead powerfully and confidently. John chapter 21, verse number 15, it says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, follow me. After Jesus' resurrection and the restoration of Peter, I bet the rooster's crow reminded Peter of restoration. The very thing that once caused him pain and sadness served to remind him of God's goodness and his grace towards him. Now, I don't think it's any coincidence in this passage that we see Jesus ask Peter after the resurrection three times, do you love me? Because we know that Peter denied Jesus three times. And in this moment, Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. The call of God didn't depart from his life when he messed up. He brought him back in and he restored him to a place of ministry. And as we read throughout the rest of the New Testament, we see that God truly did build his church on Peter. That he accomplished great and mighty things for God. Every morning when Peter would hear the rooster crow and be reminded of his failure. But Jesus restored Peter on a different morning by the sea while eating breakfast together. Now when the dawn breaks and the rooster crows, Peter doesn't remember his failure, but instead he remembers Jesus' forgiveness. And I pray that for some of you this morning, the things that remind you 
of your failure. Instead would be reminders of the grace of God in your life. That areas that once were a weakness for you would become a strength. And when those things would pop up, instead of thinking about your past and the guilt and the shame that comes along with it, instead you would look at the present and realize that God has forgiven you of that and he has a bright future for you. Peter served God faithfully until the end of his life when he died a martyr's death. It's a powerful comeback story. And God wants to write someone's comeback story this morning. He wants to bring about restoration in your life. He wants to bring about deliverance. I believe that God wants to do something special this morning, that there's a prodigal that's going to come home, that someone watching online or someone in person, you're far from God and you've turned your back on him. And today is that day when you realize I've got to come back home. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. And you say, today I want to enter into a relationship with him. Maybe there are others of you who've turned your back on him and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. In just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray this morning. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.